So I find it funny that that you've listed off a bunch of driving jobs as a thing. That sounds like a total man thing to do. You know, I don't. I feel like that's there's some gender bias going on. That and it's strange because you don't strike me as being a car guy at all. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. That we are, and we are well-rested because we've had daylight saving time giving us an extra hour of sleep for the last week, right? Uh, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I've been up for a long time already this morning. That that ex- partly explains the problem. Yeah, I was asking that question tongue-in-cheek because I know the Dr. Shu who was telling me earlier today that he's having trouble adjusting to that extra hour, which I got to admit, <laughs> now, I also feel like it's uh, it's been affecting me as well. Daylight savings time was last Saturday. Today's Friday. It's almost been a full week. Right. You think I would have adjusted by now to this one hour difference, but it has been a very long week. And I have seen it mentioned in articles talking about daylight savings time that parents as a group hate daylight savings time. They hate this idea of suddenly changing the clocks because it messes up the kids. Yeah, it messes up the kids and the adults (laughs) as a result. Anything that messes up your kids messes you up as a parent. Absolutely. Right. And I think people who've never had kids, maybe they don't feel this, you know, maybe that, you know, they just wake up one hour later or one hour earlier and there's no difference. But when you have kids, especially young kids, that one hour difference is life or death almost. <laughs> well, I would imagine it would be especially bad for you because you already don't go to bed early enough. And with this, <laughs> with, the, with the daylight saving time we just had now, this is the, the clocks fall back an hour, right? So that means right. you already should be going to bed at you know, by 10, but you're going to bed at midnight. But for you, um, the clock falls back. <laughs> So it's only saying 11 o'clock when your body thinks it's midnight. So when it's actually saying midnight, you're actually going to bed at 1. And knowing you, you're probably <laughs> going to bed at 2. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. The pro- what's, what's actually happening is, so basically the clocks fell back, yeah. right? So everyone's happy for the first day right. because you get one extra hour of sleep, right. right? It's like, woohoo, you get extra hour of sleep unless you have children who wake up based on some sort of biorhythm yeah. that's independent of actual time. Yeah. Right. They're, they're waking up based on like the light outside or their biorhythms that have been pre-programmed for like 15 years or something. And so my children suddenly are getting up at 630 every day instead of 715. Uh, right. And at, at the same time, you come home from school. Right. Normally you come home from school and like my son, he's six. He's got to go to bed around 745, eight o'clock. Yeah. Right. Well, now you come home from school, you get to 7.45, 8 o'clock. It's actually 9 o'clock by the old time, yeah. right? So now he's, he's, oper- he's getting, getting kind of run down by the end of the day, but it's really hard to compress all the stuff you need to do after school, yeah. like dinner and bathing yeah. <laughs> and practicing piano. It's hard to squeeze all those things into like a two-hour window when you're used to doing it in a three-hour window, Indeed. right? And you know, the parents don't even come home until 6 or something or 6.30. So how can you get your kids to bed at 
you know, to account for this problem. You can't, right? And fine, if that was just one day, it would be one thing. But everyone knows that if your kids don't sleep well today, then it bleeds into tomorrow, <laughs> right? There's this whole cumulative effect of sleep deficits. So, like, those bags under your eyes just get heavier and heavier and heavier as the week goes on and then you're just praying that there's a pa day coming or that there'll be like a free day at somewhere where you can reset this thing but it ain't happening yet well on the plus side uh, it does give an extra hour of daylight in the morning for the kids to go out and harvest the wheat right (laughs) like all those crops that we've been planting it's nice to know that the kids don't have to pick the crops in the dark uh, when they're getting up at six in the morning now Stu is being facetious, but this is an actual argument. Like the thing I find fascinating about daylight savings time is that I have been alive for 40 plus years and no one has ever been able to explain to me the true rationale of why daylight savings time exists. Every year we get to this bloody week and I see a bunch of articles in the news about daylight savings time and they all give these different reasons of why it exists. I've heard so many reasons. One of them has to do with farming and wheat <laughs> collection, right? One of them has to do with exercise. There's with this exercise. whole idea that some people think that daylight savings time exists so that in the summer we have more time to exercise after work. Like they did this whole thing as a thing to help Canadians and Americans get more exercise outdoors. Someone in British Columbia <laughs> thought that. So somebody in somebody in downtown Vancouver who goes to jog every morning and likes to be healthy. That only they would think that this historical thing was invented for that reason. Now, I know the real reason it's invented, right? Because I read the article about it, and it mentioned all these reasons, but that actually wasn't the reason. You go further down in the article, it mentions that a lot of people aren't into daylight savings time, and and actually a lot of countries don't practice it, right? And then it listed China and Russia do not practice daylight savings time, right? They keep their clocks uniform (laughs) year-round. And that's when I understood, without them telling yeah. me, that the reason we're suffering is politics, right? We cannot get rid of daylight savings time no matter how much we want to. Because if we did that, we'd have to look at China and Russia and be like, they got it right, we got it wrong, right? And we cannot, we cannot face up to that. So we just got to keep going bleary-eyed for the, for the years to come as a result of this. I suppose this is also why we're not on a lunar calendar. <laughs> I mean... There is a movement of people out there who are pushing for daylight savings time to end. Yeah, well, it's a large movement. I think it's almost <laughs> inevitable that it will it will end, right? Uh, some provinces have already got off of daylight saving time in the last decade, right? I I don't know. I, I can't think clearly. I'm too tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, if there is a movement, where do we sign up? I'm joining this movement. I want to be part of this movement. Well, it could be worse. Imagine you lived in Newfoundland. You'd be... Daylight saving time or no daylight saving time, you're a half hour off by everyone else in the world. <laughs> that is the, one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. You know when you're a kid and you know nothing about the world yeah. and you know that these provinces exist? And then like you'll be watching television on CBC and they'll be like, well, it is now 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock in Quebec and like 10.30 in Newfoundland or some weird half hour, <laughs> right? <laughs> I could just see somebody flying into Newfoundland for the first time saying to the airline steward or the airline stewardess, uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, 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 as we're coming into Newfoundland, uh, should I be setting my, my watch an hour forward or, or, an, or an hour backward or leave it the same? <laughs> and the steward says, or the stewardess says, uh, oh, uh, you need to adjust it by uh, half an hour. The person's like, okay, fine. If you don't want to tell me, just say so, but don't be a jerk about it. <laughs> now, 
you know, I don't, I don't really want to keep tooting the horn of China, but you know <laughs> yes, that all of do. China is... <laughs> this whole podcast is one subliminal piece of propaganda for China. <laughs> There's nothing subliminal about it. It's liminal, all right? It's a liminal piece of propaganda. The China, all of China, one time zone. You never have to change. It doesn't matter if you're in the Western China, you're in Eastern China, Northern China. It doesn't matter. One time zone for that large piece of land, yeah. right? Does Canada really need like all these time zones? Maybe we only need two, like a east and a west. Do we really need to differentiate as we go across the continent in such fine detail? Well, I mean, the idea that when it's uh, noon here and the sun is directly above you, uh, or say it's when it's noon in uh, in Prince Edward Island and the sun is directly above you, that uh, <laughs> noon in British Columbia it would be five in the morning. It'd be dark. It- it works for China somehow. I don't know how it works there. Oh, I think the way it probably works is that there's a certain group of controlling people for whom noon is where you want it to be, and there's a bunch of other people with no power who screw those guys. It doesn't matter. Besides, when you're in a factory 24 hours a day with no windows making watches for the U.S., it, it hardly matters what the, the daylight <laughs> it looks like. Now I'm picking up some, some subliminal messaging there, but I, I might be wrong. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> Just to make sure that we don't have our uh, podcast taken over by bots, we better. Uh... In in truth, daylight savings time is just a rough week. It t- it does really take a week or two to get past it. So then this morning, inexplicably, my kids have been waking up at six thirty, six forty five. Slowly as we're getting through this week, it's starting to creep back towards seven. So I'm kind of happy about that. Yeah. And then what happened this morning is I woke up at six o'clock, right, yeah. and. I didn't realize it was six o'clock because lazy medical dad didn't didn't change his clock radio. And yes, I still use a <laughs> clock radio in this day and age where I have to manually change the hours. So daylight savings passed last week. Yeah. I woke up this morning and of course it's it's six AM or seven AM, whatever it is. You're not thinking super clearly. I look down at my clock, I'm like, Oh, six fifty eight. Okay, time to get up for make breakfast. I go down to the kitchen, I put on my robe, I'm down in the kitchen, and I'm like, so dark outside like this daylight savings really making it dark in the morning then it dawns on me wait a minute i only checked the clock upstairs this clock's wrong i I had to make a u-turn go back into bed right so i go back to bed realizing okay now i got another hour of sleep except i can't sleep anymore i'm like lying in bed for 10 minutes i'm like my mind is i'm thinking about all the things i got to do today and there's a whole bunch of them right like we got to record a podcast i got to go back to the office it's like a whole bunch of things i got to do and as my as my my brain starts to speed up it occurs to me you know what i'm just gonna forget sleep i can catch up on sleep in the afternoon and that'll probably throw off my night (laughs) sleep for tomorrow night as a result but i'm going downstairs to do some work all right so i've already done an hour of work this morning before breakfast the kids and my wife were astounded right this is man overcoming daylight savings time right screw the wheat all right we're doing real work I, that is what daylight savings time was originally intended for is to get dave out of bed an hour early so you can do some more work when, when it's still light outside there was no light outside quite frankly but it was productive i actually at the end of this the take-home message is i thought to myself i should actually do this every day i would be so much more productive in life because when you're on your computer at six in the morning, there are no messages coming in. Yes. There are no emails arriving all of a sudden. There's no telephone calls. Yeah. You just get work done. It's actually a really good time to work. And I, I've heard that people do this kind of thing, like this wacky idea that you wake up early and beat the rush and get work done. But it actually was a thing. I'll let you know if I'm able to 
sustain this. Sounds good. You know, I read this quote the other day that was saying, you know, the early bird catches the worm. Um, but mm. what about the early worm? <laughs> like, maybe not. Maybe not everybody wants to be up early. Well, the problem I've had is I, I, I actually want to get up in the morning and do some writing, right? And the problem is when you're a parent and you, you're a physician or you have any other busy job, yeah. if you don't get up in the more early morning and do this before everything else starts, yeah. once everything else starts and you're like, okay, I'll do it next, I'll do it next. It this is a type of task that invariably gets put off after all the more quote-unquote important yet yeah. unimportant things get done in life, yeah. right? So it's like... You know, I really want to write this novel, but I can't because there's another bill arrived that I have to pay tonight, right? Oh, wait, the uh, cleaners at the office haven't been paid in two months and they're hounding me. I got to remember to do that, yeah. right? Like, There's just too many things going on. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, okay, it's, I'm ready to write. And I look at my clock. Like Stu said, it's 10.45 p.m., right? I'm completely exhausted, right? I've been paying bills, writing notes, yeah. like charting for my patients. Now it's like, Okay, I got to write a novel. Like, are you crazy? Like, how do you write a novel when you're dead tired, right? I, I might as well do it in the morning when I'm dead tired. At least there's nobody else bothering me. This is my new thought. That sounds like somebody is having some uh, regrets about their life choices, which uh, I think <laughs> spins right into the topic for today, right? That's right. See, you hit it on the nose. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you set it up, I'll spike it. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about the question of, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Dr. Harmon and I are trying to figure out what we should do when we grow <laughs> up, right? We got plenty of time, though. We don't have to rush into this decision. <laughs> oh, that clock is ticking. It's ticking from the moment you're born, you realize. And, and similarly, you know, having that conversation with your kids and, you know, asking them what they want to do when they grow up. And actually, for me, every time I meet kids, I'm curious about this. I'm always asking kids, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? In the doctor's office, like, they have the nosiest family doctor ever. You know, these eight-year-olds come in, like, oh, yeah, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? So I always find it a funny thing to ask and a funny thing to think about. And now, you know, you and I are kind of mid-career, you know, a funny thing to reflect on it and to think about for when we really do grow up. Like, what are we really going to do? Yeah. All right. So let, let's start here. You know, clearly you and I are physicians, mm -hmm. but did we always want to be physicians? What did you want to do when you grew up when you were small? What was the thing that, you know, what are some of the things you remember questing about back in the day? Yeah, so I remember that I wanted to drive a dump truck. I remember that. I remember wanting to drive a dump truck. That seemed like that would be, you know, who wouldn't want that job? It just seemed like uh, that's got to be a hard job to get because I'm sure everybody wants to drive a dump truck. Um, so a dump truck is a truck where the back part lifts up and deposits dirt on the ground. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what kind of childhood do you have that you have to refresh I, yourself on what you a dump first truck said, is? When you first said dump truck, I was thinking about like, you know, a four by four, you know, a pickup, a pickup truck. truck. That, that, for some reason that occurred to me. And then I'm thinking maybe you need to lift the back and dump something out of yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Pickup truck's fine, but aim higher children. Aim higher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Around what age did you have this idea? Uh, I think that would have been around age three. Uh, I, I sort of remember, I must have been maybe four and a half or maybe five when it occurred to me that I should drive a train um, because mm. I thought to me, like, or the thought I had was that a train is on tracks. So 
you get paid to drive the train, but really you don't have to do anything because it's just driving itself. And I, I had this thought <laughs> in my mind that I'd have all these comic books and toys in the train with me and I could just be doing that <laughs> while the train drives itself. And then I guess I, I have to stop the train when it gets there. I remember going around the house pretending that I was driving a train, uh, but it, it meant mostly just being like with my arms folded, being like, all right, the train's driving. <laughs> did 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 at some point this evolve into you wanting to become an airline pilot? Because they don't have to do anything either. They have some autopilot function where they can just sit there. It reminds me of a quote I, I heard on television the other day. You know, I would rather die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather than screaming in terror like his passengers. <laughs> so I find it funny that, that you've listed off a bunch of driving jobs as a thing. Yeah. That sounds like a total man thing to do, you know. I don't. I feel like that's there's some gender bias going on. That and it's strange because you don't strike me as being a car guy at all. Like we've mentioned this before, you actually do not drive. Your wife drives you around. So at some point, this dream got flipped on its head. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, well, first of all, I think most people would describe me as a as a man's man. I. <laughs> I'm shocked except that when you're that I would want such a macho <laughs> Except when you're in the passenger seat and your wife is driving you around. Well, I suppose the other point is that, remember, I want to drive a train because the train drives itself and I can just sit there hands-free. <laughs> Essentially, I'm living that dream right now. <laughs> wow, you really made it. That's right. What I want to know is, how did I go from wanting to drive a dump truck to instead having a life where I'm being driven and dumped on, <laughs> not by my <laughs> wife, but just by life in general. Well, today we're talking about, you know, your profession, your career. Yeah. We'll talk about whether the, it's correct to get married or not on a future episode of Medical Dads. That's a different life decision. We're talking about your job, though, for now. Uh, just to clarify, I don't, I don't, I'm not getting dumped on at home by my wife, uh, but I'm just being in my career. Uh, I feel sometimes <laughs> that I am there to get dumped on. It's okay. It's okay. We all saw the subliminal messaging of that statement. <laughs> oh, one of those Freudian slips, Norm. When you say one thing, but you're thinking about a mother. <laughs> and then uh, the other job I remember clearly wanting uh, or saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this when I grow up is working at McDonald's. I saw a commercial for McDonald's uh, where this guy is <laughs> coming home from his job at McDonald's and he brings home food for his family. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want that job, um, which I did achieve. I did work at McDonald's. So. <laughs> Yeah, you achieved it right away. It's like all of life is downhill once you've made all these big achievements hey, in life. Nothing wrong with accomplishing your goals early. How old were you when you started working at McDonald's? Uh, I think I was 15. I think that was the youngest okay. you could be in, and work at the time. Yeah. Okay. And so was it this feeling of validation that that dream had been achieved? Like, or was it just kind of, but were you too old to even remember that at that point, that this was a meaningful event? Uh, you know, when I first got the job and I'm getting the uniform and they're giving the whole speech about, you know, welcome to the team. This is a job that's driven by the customer. So your job is to you know, satisfy the customer because that's what keeps us all employed. Uh, yeah, that was really exciting at first. Um, then, you know, the job itself actually can be quite mundane. But I stayed at that job mm -hmm. for a long time. Well, people who know me know that uh, I do have a tendency to not quit things uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> people who listen to this podcast know that I have a tendency to not quit things for better or for worse. <laughs> but uh, one thing I did learn from my time at McDonald's, I was there for something like six years. And there were times when the job like felt pretty good where I'm like, yeah, you know, I really am looking forward to going to work today and seeing the people I'm going to work with. And there were times that the job felt like such a slog where it's like, oh, yeah, I got to go to work today. Mm. And uh, 
the the clamping of the burgers stayed essentially the same for most of the time I was there. But what changed was that different people would come and go through the job. And I really realized that, you know, any job, whether it's a slog or not, or whether it's great or not, how much you enjoy it is going to really change dramatically based on how much fun you're having with the people that you're working with. Um, mm. And that's a, that's a lesson I try to impart on, uh, on my kids and anyone else that will listen. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do as long as you can make jokes while you're doing it. <laughs> that's right. Now, when you were working at McDonald's, presumably that was no longer the thing you wanted to do when you grew up, right? There must have been something else you wanted to do at that point. Were you already set on being a doctor while working at McDonald's? Uh, you know, it's funny. I was uh, I had a, a, a book, and it was uh, one of these, you know, Mad Magazine? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's where I turn to for career <laughs> advice all the time. Well, there was a whole section on thinks in this, in this Mad Magazine book that I had. Uh, and it's, you know, a fink is a mother who vacuums during your favorite TV show. And one of the things was <laughs> a fink is a smiling doctor with a big needle behind his back. Um, and so I thought that was pretty funny when, when people would ask me what I want to be when I grew up. I'd be like, I want to be a smiling doctor with a big needle behind my back. Um, and then of all the things I said that I wanted to be when I was a kid, uh, when I didn't know what I was talking about, that's the only thing that my mother was always like, yeah, yeah, even when you were small, you said you wanted to be a doctor. I'm like, ah, I, mean, I remember saying a lot of things, but I don't, I don't, you never see him reminding me about how I said I want to drive a dump truck. <laughs> but uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute. My mom did that same trick to me, yeah. right? At some point, she was like, you always said you want to be a doctor. I'm like, I did? I don't, I don't remember saying that. I mean, yeah, I said a lot of things, right? Why is that sentence more important than any other sentence we uttered? Oh, that. You remember the movie Inception, where the idea is agents will go into your mind when you're dreaming, plant an idea in your dreams, so that when you wake up, you <laughs> think you thought of this idea? That's, that's what your parents are doing. Parents, parents of physicians, the original Inceptors of Inception. <laughs> oh, um, man. By the time yeah. I graduated high school, I, I had the idea of I'm going to go into science, and I'm going to keep my mind open. And who knows what other exciting careers in science uh, that exist? You know, I'll be a scientist like Bruce Banner. Maybe I'll turn into a Hulk. Or, you know, every superhero, every good superhero is essentially some kind of scientist who experiments on themselves and gives himself powers. Uh, but then by the time I got into uh, undergrad, uh, I realized if I even wanted to have the door open for medicine, it, it, essentially in those days, it took all your energy and efforts to just work on that one thing. Um, and by the time I finished my uh, first year of grad school, uh, all these exciting careers in science uh, just didn't seem to be presenting themselves the way it uh, seems like it does when you're uh, a kid being told that STEM is the future. So you just didn't have time to conduct your own experiments on the side, and that's how you ended up <laughs> as a medical doctor. Uh, something like that. <laughs> so one of these days, you'll get around to working on those gamma rays. <laughs> one of these days. But uh, Yeah, I mean, um, I certainly... When I got into medicine, there was a real sense of satisfaction of like, you know, there was only two things I said I was going to do, McDonald's and doctor. And I've done it. I've achieved it. The rest is gravy <laughs> from here on in. I don't have to struggle about what am I going to do next. <laughs> well, now you just had to find someone to drive you around and you managed to find that one also. <laughs> That's right. uh, life's pretty complete. There was nothing else on the list. Those are the two, the couple main things. It was like McDonald's and then something in the sciences. Uh, yes. Although, I mean, I suppose if it were possible to have been uh, an actor in, you know, making movies that I want to make or something like that, uh, you know, if I could have, if I could now be a character in the Marvel 
uh, cinematic universe, then that I'm sure would have been satisfying as well. But I never entertained any actual idea of doing that for, for a career. All right. All right. Well, similar, I guess I, this is like one of the first times we've ever had like some, something that joined us <laughs> culturally, you know, like that both our moms, whatever their backgrounds was, they must've read the same parenting manual, <laughs> yeah. right? When your when your kid mutters something about wanting to be a doctor, you remember that and forget everything else they've ever said in their life and bring that up at opportune <laughs> moments to make it seem like it was their own choice yeah. to go into this thing. <laughs> that is fantastic. That's the mistake I've been making with my kids. Is, you know, I'll say to them things like, yeah, wouldn't it ni- be nice to be a doctor? And they're oh, dad, not again. Oh, I'm not going to be a doctor. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter. You just don't say anything now for about like another eight years, yeah. right? And then you just be like, yeah, yeah, you always wanted to be a doctor when you are growing up. Remember? Like I did, and you just confuse them, right? And just like, <laughs> and then before they know it, it's too late. Oh, we should write a parenting book, Gaslighting into Medicine. <laughs> <laughs> now... For me, when I was small, I mean, I similarly, at some point, I wanted to be a construction worker, but I guess I didn't even know what a dump truck was, so well, how good of a construction worker could I have been? Um, but my mom is always making fun of me for, as a kid, wanting to do these like odd and end jobs that nobody wanted, yeah. right? But the main one, the main one was that for a period of time, probably when I was in about the first grade, second grade, the thing I really wanted to do was be a soldier, Right. It's just oh, something about being a soldier. Just really, really. I really took it to heart. And so watching G.I. Joe, the, is that? No, this is not from G.I. Joe. This is from the fact that I actually come from a military family okay. historically. Right. So I, we've talked about this before, but both of my grandfathers were soldiers in the Kuomintang, the Chinese Nationalist Army, like back in the back in World War Two and then in the Civil War. Yeah. And then my dad had gone and done military service in Taiwan because every man does military service when they finish university or, or they finish school. They're, at that time, they were supposed to do two years of service. So you, you do training, basic training, and then if you want to continue in the military, you can or you get let out. And then I had an uncle. My, dad's, my dad has three brothers, but the one that's closest to him in age, the one that's like two years younger than him, he had never been a good student. So at some point, you know how your parents on these TV shows are always threatening. Yeah. You know, your TV dad is always threatening. Like, you know, if you don't shape up, I'm going to ship you to military Bill school. And Ted, right. And right? It's just Bill and Ted's uh, bogus journey. Yeah. It's just one of these like idle threats. Right. Like, and in real life, like who's ever heard of anyone really going to military school? Like, that's something you read about in a book. Well, actually in Taiwan, back in the day, my grandfather sent my uncle to military school. Nice. Right. He was, he was, he was, he was a bit of a ruffian in, in growing up yeah. and couldn't hack it in regular school. Yeah. So they shipped him off to the military and then he ended up staying in the military and becoming a lifelong soldier, right? He, you know, rest in peace. He passed away last year yeah. and at his funeral, they actually in Toronto, they have like representatives of like the Taiwan army. Yeah. They come and they wrap the coffin in a flag and it was like a military send off. Yeah. So it was cool. But these are lifelong soldiers and. At that point in my life, my parents had sent me back to Taiwan. So I was living in Taiwan with my grandparents on both sides. And I saw this uncle all the time, right? And so I'd go over to his place and he had like this room with all this military stuff, right? It was like, it it wasn't just that he was a soldier. He was like some sort of military collector, (laughs) right? He wasn't just a soldier. He He was a soldier who stole office supplies. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't office supplies, man. He had like replica tanks like replica warheads like these missile i guess they're i guess they're like 
I, they're not grenades. They're they actually look like little like ballistic missiles, wow. like things sitting there. He had like all the insignias. So th- in the army, when you in Taiwan, like you know, you start off with the rank of like a single bar, then you get promoted to a second bar yeah. and a third bar, and then it goes into you get flowers and then in the highest level you get stars and you can become like a four-star general and blah 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 yeah. right so as a kid all these insignias all the shiny labels and all this stuff it just fascinated yeah. me right and and there were there were like models of of like warships yeah. right that he put behind glass cases and my grandfather had some of those too as as a thing right you go to people's houses now right it, and maybe they put up like a figurine of a character that they like yeah. or you know you go to your parents place from back in the day and they would put up plates you know fancy pewter <laughs> and stuff to display my, my grandparents and my uncle they had battleships like sitting there right we're ready to go to war and so this uncle what what um like would he have been involved in any actual war like what what's what would he have served? no 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 so so my grandfather's fought yeah. right and then after the civil war ends in like 1949 yeah. They're in Taiwan, and and at that point, the propaganda in Taiwan is that someday we're going to take back mainland China. We're making preparations to take back mainland China. So they continued to work in the military, but they were getting pretty old at that point. So by the 50s and 60s, there's not much actual fighting. So by the time my dad does military service in the 60s, there's always the threat because the Cold War is going on. right? So there's always the threat that China and Taiwan are going to go to war, but nothing ever really happens. Um, from what I've heard from my uncle and my dad, you know, they would, they, they were positioned during their military service time on these bases that was kind of close to China. And then the Chinese would, well, they would both do it to each other. The two sides would lob propaganda back at each other, (laughs) which does not actually mean they're hurling insults at each other figuratively. They're actually literally hurling insults. Like they would send a warhead over and when the warhead would explode, there'd be pieces of paper inside with all these propaganda messages <laughs> right about how bad your government is and you should be on our side yeah. right they, they'd mail these things around using warheads and if you were standing in the wrong place at the wrong time you could literally get get killed by propaganda <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but <That's crazy. laughs> but that was what they were doing yeah. right but there was no actual fighting right so then my uncle is in the military for a long time and then at some point you know i knew he was a lifelong soldier and then you know when I was a kid, I saw him do this stuff. I didn't really know what he was doing. It was actually many, many, many years later, he emigrated to Canada, yeah. and I was talking to my dad about it, and he was like, actually, what your uncle does is he's involved in the arts. <laughs> because he was, at that point, he, he had retired, basically, from the military, okay. and he, he was really into Chinese calligraphy, Chinese painting, and so all that stuff. So he's writing the propaganda like, notes that are getting shot over? I'm like, what is, how is that really? He's like, well, apparently in Taiwan, the military also has an arts department that does, you know, military promotion. They shoot videos and music okay. and put on performances and stuff. And he was in that side of the military, which is pretty sweet. You think about soldiers, you don't think that there's like an arts department, but in Taiwan, apparently there is, right? Oh, man. So I did not know that, right, at that yeah. time. Like at the time I wanted to be a soldier, I just wanted to fight <laughs> and wear the uniform. So there's this period of time. If you look at photos of me from this one-year period, every photo I'm giving like a military <laughs> salute because I thought that was a fun thing to do, right? Oh, man. But, but in hindsight, if I knew that there was like this arts department, maybe that was the way to go. I don't know. The Canadian, does the Canadian military have that kind of thing? They must. Well, all militaries have some sort of thing kind of like that. Um you know, even a RCMP, I, I've heard stories about RCMP members uh, sort of freaking out when they were assigned to do more dangerous assignments when they're like, I joined to play the tuba. That's my thing is I play the tuba. <laughs> but um, 
I, I can see how it could be problematic for somebody who joins the military with that impression that like, oh, there's no any actual wars. You just get to prepare for them and, you know, draw calligraphy. Uh, and then something like an Afghanistan happens or an Iraq mm. war happens or something like this. And then people are like, what? I wasn't expecting to come back. He's an amputee. <laughs> like this is actually war is actually pretty gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. So they, none these guys never actually fought. And Taiwan and China have been at a sort of a what is it called armistice yeah some sort of for many many decades so we'll see how that goes but my, that was my dream was to become a soldier at some point it ended yeah. at some point cooler heads prevailed and apparently i wanted to be a doctor but i, I don't really know when that happened oh man i mean uh, my grandfather was uh, you know fought in world war ii and uh i think i've talked on the show before about how when he describes it you do get the sense that this guy was uh like kind of a pretty pragmatic guy of like, oh, well, you know, you're on a battleship, you're going to live or you're going to die. It's gonna, that's the way it's going to work out. And if you don't die, then, you know, it's kind of a, an adventure you're having. But he never made it sound glamorous. Uh, he definitely talked about how, you know, when they would pull into land and you would see all the soldiers, he's like, those just look like such horrible wretches, like the people who are actually involved in the land mm. aspect of these battles. So uh, it never seemed like a glamorous thing to do. But after that, he was a fisherman. That was his, uh, when I think of my grandfather, I think more of him as being a fisherman. And, uh, his like father before him was a fisherman, um, but my dad was a policeman. Never encouraged me to become a policeman, and I did my master's thesis on fish physiology. So I feel like I've honored the family <laughs> tradition as much as I could be expected to. <laughs> Fantastic. So those were some of the things we wanted to do when we grew up. How about now? You're looking back on it, and we're only half done. So we don't want to say that you know we've made our life choice and we're kind of set in stone and. You know, we've already grown up, but looking back on it, if you could do this over again, would you do things the same way? Or given the knowledge that hopefully you've accumulated over the last 25 years and you can look at McDonald's and medical doctoring from a different light, yeah. would you do it the same way? I hate it when people say, and don't say I would do it exactly the same way. I hate <laughs> it when people say that. I wouldn't change a thing. Really? I, there isn't one thing you would change? The grass is just so so green over there on the other side i've never seen such green grass as the grass it's like it's like the emerald city over there but uh, it's always green until until dr shu comes into contact with having to do, having to look after the lawn and then it turns yellow <laughs> mysteriously but uh i think realistically or honestly uh, knowing what i know now uh i would probably do the same thing but i just do it better right I'd probably still go into medicine, but I'd just be a much better, much better at it, much better doctor than I am now. So, so is it fair to say that your mom was right all along or that our mothers was right all along based on that? I think if I was uh, on that train thinking that it's going to drive itself and thinking I'm going to have a, 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 a compartment full of toys and a caboose full of comic books, uh, I'd be very much uh, thinking like, yeah, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not as, as mm. glamorous as I, as I thought it would be. All right. Well, fair enough. I mean, now, now there's some nuance here because when you're a kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? A doctor, a dentist, right? Now, when you're an adult now, you're looking back on it, you could do it better. Yeah. So now we're going to say, we're going to be a little bit more precise with the question. Yeah. You know, would you still be a pediatrician? Would you still like working with children or not? Uh, I mean, I'd probably still be a pediatrician, but uh, yeah, it is hard not... I think when people go into medicine, sometimes you have to choose a track, right? You uh, Before you graduate, you have to apply for what you're going to specialize in. And so mm. I think people do 
you know, when they, you, you apply to med school, most people, the vast majority of the class, just wants to get into med school. They haven't actually thought things through further than that. I want to be a medical student. It's not even that they're sure <laughs> they want to be a doctor, but they're certain they want to be a medical student. Um, and then right. uh, when you have to start choosing something and competing for it, then you get this mindset of like, oh, okay, yeah, I have to do this. The only, I can only be – I've set my mind on – on being a pediatrician or an, or an otolaryngologist or whatever. So I'll only be happy if I get this thing I said I'm setting out to try to get. But uh, mm -hmm. truly, I think you could transplant me in many different areas of medicine. I think I'd be just fine. I think I'd be quite happy. <laughs> I think I could be quite happy as, a, as an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I think I could potentially be happy as a, as a surgeon. I think I could potentially be good at it as a surgeon. Um, mm. And it's hard not to think about how much more money those guys are making than, uh, than the track <laughs> that I'm in right now. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, I really do enjoy that aspect of uh, of working with kids. And I, as much as I get sometimes a bit cynical and jaded on the job now, I can only imagine it'd be worse if I had to deal with adults all the time. <laughs> you you do strike me as being the right personality for dealing with children. Out of all the doctors that we know that we went to school with, you know, I you're right up there. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I would say that when you go into medicine specifically and you're trying to pick between things, some of those jobs, although you kind of feel like you could be good at any of them, probably I think you're right. I think we probably worry about this too much. Yeah. But some of the jobs are quite different, right? And the lifestyles that they entail are quite different, yeah. right? You, we wouldn't be able to sit here doing a parenting podcast if you were a, a cardiac surgeon, you know, <laughs> frankly. There wouldn't be much for you to say. <laughs> I'd probably be too tired to formulate much of a <laughs> sentence. Right, right. So I feel like in that sense, you know, that is, that is part of the decision-making. As you get older, as you kind of look at it and say, well, is the job I'm doing able to give me the lifestyle balance that I want? Yeah. Is it able to pay me, you know, what I feel like I should be earning for this much time commitment? Yeah. Is it a worthwhile profession on a minute to minute basis when I'm dealing with patients, right? There, there are definitely are some small differences, but in a sense, we are splitting hairs to some degree. Yeah, yeah that's pretty fair. Although, uh, so, you know, both you and I uh, do enjoy certain creative endeavors, right? And mm. uh, when I think about going into something more in in the show business, you know, whether it be writing as a writer for show business or uh, directing or acting. Mm. Uh, those are all things, especially when you're you know, a teenager thinking about these things, it just seems like, well, sure, you know, that might be fun if you're that small percentage of people who, who really makes it. Uh, but, you know, the mm -hmm. chances of that are so small. But uh, after going through the slog it takes to get uh, – into medical school, the uncertainty at a certain point where you are not sure if you're going to be accepted to medical school or accepted to the program you want, stuff like that. Uh, you do go through a phase where you're thinking, you know, I went through all this uncertainty anyway for something that seemed like a gamble. Uh, I could have done that too for something more like creative or acting or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So, or, or anything. It doesn't have to be creative. It could just be even like a person who's an entrepreneur and it's starting a business. Mm. Right. Those are pretty big gambles financially also. And it's a similar kind of thing. High failure rate. But the people who actually do make it are the ones who, of course, they had a great idea or some special skills. But but they are the ones who care the most and are the most persistent with their dogged determination to get these things done. Yeah, I think that. You know, we do talk about getting into medical school as a, as a lottery, and it's true. It does. It, when, when you get in, you realize that a lot of it was chance. But uh, it does seem to me that if you are really committed and you have some modicum of the talent for it, 
If you're really committed and you're working at it, you may not get in the first year apply, but you will eventually get in. And if you want to be in a certain specialty and you committed, you will probably eventually get what you want if you are, you know, if you're working really hard and have just a little bit of luck, which it seems like that you learn that lesson going through med school when you have the, after you've achieved what you want to achieve. And uh, then you think, yeah, that lesson could actually probably be applied to many other things in, in life. Uh, although I'm not so sure if I could have actually been committed to anything else as much as I was committed to this particular goal. <laughs> I don't know. It, it Then it starts to bespeak of, you know, probably we're a little bit conservative as a population, you know, doctors. We're not the most risk-taking group of people. <laughs> and are you, because some of these other jobs you're talking about do involve a very, very high degree of risk, a high failure rate. And a lot of times I feel like, we're pretty careful. We don't really want to expose ourselves to that degree of uncertainty. So we kind of pick jobs that'll give us a fair degree of, or get, we'll pick jobs that will kind of set us up for life without having to stress too much. Yeah. Although one of the things I've realized is people who go into something like writing or acting, you know, when you're, when you're really young, you assume that all those people, what they want to be is a star, right? That, you know, if I'm not a household name, uh, or I'm not in these big Hollywood movies, then uh, then I have not then I failed. Mm -hmm. I haven't got there yet. Uh, but there are many people who, as long as they can make a living, as long as they can make like a, a meaningful like you know middle class wage uh, in that field, then they're quite happy because they they have what it is that they're looking for. It's not the money and the fame they're looking for. It's the it's the actual craft of what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot more opportunity in these industries uh, if you're just trying to to make a living you know if you go to acting mm -hmm. college uh, and then you become a high school drama teacher then you may have actually achieved what you're what you're looking for out of this um or you know if you're not a drama teacher but you're doing plays at the you know the national arts center or you know things where you're not a household name but you are you know you punching the clock doing your craft uh that 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 can be satisfying right now I, there was another job that came to me that at some point in my life, I was like, you know what? I think I should do this instead. So then there was this whole period of time where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be. I was doing okay in school. My mom wanted me to be a doctor. And oh, then I've been waiting all season for you to talk about your turn as a stripper. All right. Tell us how that played <laughs> out. <laughs> poorly, poorly. But I, so I used to, one of the problems was this show ER came out, came about when I was in high school, yeah. right? And I was really hooked onto this TV show. And my mom confused the fact that I liked watching ER <laughs> with that I wanted to become a doctor. Like, I, I don't know how she made that leap. Yeah. But it was a great television show, especially in the first season. So I was really into that. My mom was like, you know, you could try to be in medicine. I was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. But I got to university and I, I, had, I was on the pre-med track. And in university, you know, everyone's got a track that they're on. You're either an engineer or you're pre-med or you're really confused or something, right? <laughs> this is in the U.S. So it works a bit differently here, but the, this is, you went to Cornell. This is in the U.S. I get, to the, I get to the later part of university and I started to think, you know what? I actually really like being in a university environment. You know, I, I like that there's young people around. There's, you know, people want to learn. And there's so many people from different places. They're all engaged in this pursuit of learning. Yeah. You know, whether or not they really want to learn for the sake of learning or they just want to learn so that they can get a job later. It doesn't matter. They're, they're all learning, yeah. right? And it's such an idyllic environment, right? You're on a university campus. You can go play sports, you know, after your studies are done. Yeah. You go hang out with your buddies for drinks. Yeah. 
I thought, you know, I could really see myself enjoying living on a university campus, being a professor, yeah. right? And then what do professors do? They teach. I was like, I like teaching and they write, you know, I like to write. Yeah. You know, this could work. I was like, you know what? I should really be a prof. But the problem was I didn't know what I was going to prof in, <laughs> right? I, it's not like that That was the, actually the main problem. I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I, there's a lot of things I like. But what I really like to read about is, like, novels. But I don't really want to be an English professor. That seems kind of stuffy. Yeah. And I really like reading about sports. But there's no degree for that, right? And I, so I, I didn't know what it would be in. And I ended up getting a double major. I majored in history. So I kind of liked that. Yeah. But I was like, could I really see myself being a historian? Like real historical texts, you know, written by PhDs, like these kind of research documents, they're extremely dense. Yeah. A lot of them are basically unreadable, right? They're written for other academics, right? To keep a record of something that happened or to prove a point about something that happened. Not so much to educate, you know, every run-of-the-mill people about a topic, yeah. right? And so... That was the thing I kind of wanted to do, but it was such an unformed plan, right? And you were talking about the lottery of medical school. We, we get into this thing in the final year of university. You're waiting for your med school acceptance to come in. I, was get, I, got, I got one acceptance right away to a, a university in the, U, in the U.S., Penn State University. Okay. And then I got a series of rejections. And I was looking, I'm like, I don't really want to go to school in the U.S. again anyway. These medical schools are really expensive. They're more expensive than undergrad. Yeah. And in undergrad, there's like financial aid. In medical school, they know you're going to make money after, so they're not going to give you anything. Yeah. And part of me was like, do I really want to be a doctor? Do I really want to commit? Like, I think at that time, it would have been like $45,000 U.S. a year yeah. for this pursuit. I was like, I'm really holding out. Maybe I can get into a school in Canada, and then I can stall a bit because it's not that expensive. If I hate it, I can always change my mind, but I won't be 260 grand in the hole yeah. at the end of that. And so I did end up getting to school in Canada, but there was this period where I wasn't sure what I was going to do, yeah. and I had no plan. I was like, maybe I'll go back to school next year, continue studying. Like I, I wasn't even applying for stuff. This was all half-baked yeah. in my mind. So I totally understand when people tell me they're not sure what they want to do or the future is nebulous. I've been through that. It's not, it's not pleasant, but this issue of what do you want to do when you grow up at some points in your life, it just rears its ugly head. And sometimes you have no solution. So when I, I just love asking children about it because I'm just setting themselves up for that day when they don't know the answer either. Uh, usually they'll give you like three answers. You know, one of my kids wants to be a, a gymnastics teacher, a veterinarian, and a hairstylist. You're going to have all three of those jobs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with having multiple gigs, right? Yeah. In the modern economy, there's this whole idea of everyone's trying to do like a side gig, yeah. right? So the other day, I was telling you about this. I was, I was talking to my son. I'm like, you know, you could have more than one job. You could have two jobs. And then his eyes got really, it's like, what? <laughs> I can have two jobs. So then he came back to me with like four different jobs that he wanted to do, right? So he so he wanted to be a magician was the fourth one, yeah. right? I was like, "Okay, sure. You you can go you can go attend birthday parties if you want." But hey, you know, we live in a day and age where I feel like at the very least we should nurture our kids to do whatever they want. Yeah. You know, whether they end up picking that at the end of the day or whether they have to deal with the harsh economic realities of stuff. Yeah. At least as a kid, you let him have a dream. And if that dream is to go to McDonald's, then so be it. It's true. It's true. You got to lead by example, too. You know, like the kids see me go to my job at Chio. They see me driving my Uber and they're like, yeah, OK, grown up can have multiple <laughs> gigs. <laughs> and a grown up, in fact, needs multiple gigs to survive in the current economy, right. in the current economic climate that we're in. Inflation, kids. Inflation. <laughs> got to do this just to break even. 
Yeah, I think I told you, my dad used to work for the Ministry of Labor. He was always showing me these stats, yeah. right, about what the current salaries of all these jobs were, right? He'd bring in this table that he had just collated at yeah. work, and he would highlight the number next to doctor, right? This, you know that whole business about, about like, you know, I want to go to medicine to help people, and your parents are motivating you to go to medicine to help people. My dad was actually showing me the actual labor market stats <laughs> for Ontario for the year. Oh, awesome. Well, any uh, parting words of wisdom for the kids out there? <laughs> for the kids out there, big and small. I don't know. It, this is not an easy thing to answer. I feel like, I feel like in life, we should be, if you have the ability to pick what it is you want to do, and it's something that you think you'll like to do, and you may be wrong, but I feel like if you have that inkling, you should go for it. That, that is actually what I think deep down. But the Chinese part of me is like, you know what? Just play it safe. <laughs> Just join the military. You'll be taken care of. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, my advice is, I was going to have two bits of advice for people. One, you never want to be in a situation where you're, where you're later realizing, oh, I didn't know this job existed. Uh, I would have been so much happier mm. doing this and always wondering what it would be like with the what ifs. So I think it's great to, to, to you know, ask kids early, you know, hey, what would you like to do when you grow up and, and know that they're going to change their mind and let them go through a bunch of options. And, uh, you know, it actually takes a bit of work for all of us to figure out, yeah, what else could I be doing? What else is out there? That was going to be my one piece of advice. And then the other side of that was going to be that uh, medicine's a great job too. So if you can't figure it out, <laughs> hey, come on, peds emerge. We've got, we, we're, we're hiring, right? We've got some empty spots. We've, we've definitely got some patient volume. Uh, it's a good job. It isn't a bad job. Being a physician is not a bad job by any means. It's actually a great job. But it is a complicated job. And sometimes you don't know what you're signing up for. It good or bad. Yeah. You know, like so so my thing was that for many years the job was a bit of a grind. And it took a long time of working to start to find aspects of it that really appealed to me. Right. So actually it ended up coming back to this business of teaching. Yeah that at some point I started teaching medical students and residents and that's actually, I actually found that really rewarding. Now I feel like if there's no learner with me, you know, for a week, I just get depressed, right? I just feel like I need to teach somebody something, yeah. right? And, and also like we started to manage our own clinic and do the small business part of it and get to put on an entrepreneurial hat, which is sometimes a really miserable <laughs> experience, quite frankly. But at other times you feel like, okay, I'm learning, right? It's not just coughs and colds. I'm actually understanding how this business works in the grand scheme and you know, managing it from various aspects. And that is another learning experience that I've gotten, which I wouldn't have if I had ended up as a professor of something. But so one thing I found is that sometimes you go into a job and you're kind of like, I'm not really sure if I should be here. And it can take a decade or more to start to figure it out. Yeah. So if you don't like it right away or you're really angry about being there because you feel like your parents hypnotize <laughs> you into going, that's okay. You might figure it out later and it might work itself out in a way, right? If you're persistent with it. And some jobs can be great. They can be bad, but the same job, you can love it or hate it depending on whether you're around good people <laughs> when you're doing the job. <laughs> That, that is a huge thing. That is a huge thing. That, so at some level, how you get along with people around you is actually more important than the job that you're in, you know, in many ways. Yeah. Hey, worst case scenario, your job's terrible. You can always have a podcast on the side with someone you enjoy talking to, and that can get you through the week. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We will see you all in a week's time. See you in a week, folks.